So I want to say a few things today. We're going to start out in Genesis and go all the way through to Leviticus. <laughs> I was telling John Eckert that early. He goes, oh, good, Leviticus is my favorite book. Oh, John. <laughs> it's a joke. I got to learn your uh, body language a little bit. Hey, one of the things I do want to acknowledge about Tracy and John Eckert and this leadership team here, they truly are family. You know, a lot of churches talk about being family. And listen, I've been in a lot of them. I've done consulting with a lot of them. I've worked at a couple. And this group here, they not only do they talk the talk, but they walk the walk. And I just want to let you know that it's a rare thing today to have people like Tracy and John Eckert in your life leading this community because it doesn't happen everywhere, I promise you. And I love the way Tracy is bold in her presentation, bold in using this, this uh, pulpit here and expressing her beliefs. Because look, there's a, lot of not, there's a lot of pastors out there, especially the mega pastors out there that don't, they just preach to the tithe. That's right, I said it, okay? And I just love the way Tracy puts it on the line, okay? I like the conservative views. I do. And the leadership team here, we've got Lindsay Hatch. Lindsay, you're doing great. And your mom and dad are just so cool. They just, you know, I like that tiger outfit there, Mrs. Hatch. It looks pretty good. Matthew, man, you, you've... It's great. Gary, the worship guy, Bethany, Nicole, uh, Heather. Where's Heather at? Where is she? Wherever she's at. She's here somewhere, but Heather's great. She's, she's taken on the accounting of this firm, and also she's now Tracy's personal assistant, which is got awesome. So I just my hat's off to this leadership team because, I look, I get it. I've, I've served on leadership teams. I've worked with some of you all, and I know it's not easy. You're not here for the money which is a shame, which I think you all should be making a lot of money. And I've told Tracy that a lot of times. It's not my fault. Sorry about that. So Holy Spirit activate. Yeah? I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, when Jesus left, he ascended into heaven. He gave us a companion. Thank you, Jesus. And by God, we needed it. Yeah? <laughs> Daily, right? And so one of the things that I think is real important is family. And we talk about family here at this church. And one of the things that I've learned over the years, especially, you know, I'm a fairly new Christian. I gave my life to Jesus 13 years ago. And what I learned is that at first, for a while, I was embarrassed of my family. And people say, McIntyre, why were you embarrassed of your family? Because they're so dysfunctional. Between Stacy and I, our parents have been married and divorced six times. That's right. But I know this. Do we have dysfunctional families in here? If anybody come from a dysfunctional family, yeah. <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, then you have no family. Because <laughs> they're all dysfunctional. And let me, tell you, let me tell you when it all started with Adam and Eve. But you're in good company because all through the Bible, and by the way, I delve into the Old Testament, and I can't believe you talking about the Old Testament, Matthew. Who are you? You never talked about, I've been coming here for what? I don't know, a year and a half? And you never mentioned Abraham. My whole thing's on Abraham. I thought, man, we worship a big God. He's, he's stealing my notes and giving them to Matthew. 
Yahweh sneaky. All right. So dysfunction in our families. When did it start? It started with Adam and Eve. And we've got a whole, the Bible is completely full of dysfunctional families. So let's turn to Genesis 3, 6, let me see, what was it? Uh, 3, 11, 13. Part of the problem with dysfunction is the blame game. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree? I command you to eat from, that you not command. Go to 3, uh, 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Blame in the wife. Blame in the wife. <laughs> and then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So it's this going on, right? We're in the blame game. How many of us stay in the blame game? I've been there. Listen, I blame Matthew for making this thing go so long today. Ten, ten announcements. I became a victim of time. But listen, we do all get into the blame game. Why do we get into the blame game? The number one reason is because we do not want to take responsibility. It's so much easier to blame, blame the Democrats, blame the Republicans, blame the conservatives, blame the liberals. Let me blame my neighbors, HOA. Let me blame my pastor, my church. Let me blame the worship team. Let me blame online. Right? And let me tell you something. It all has one common denominator. It's you. I remember when I was in business or in the secular business, I had a lot of interesting things go on. I had salespeople. As money gets bigger, you know, you'll find out, you separate your, your friends from your real friends, right? As your money gets bigger and you start making more money, which is a good thing uh, for some, but you find out also who's really in it for the money. They, the agendas come out. Do you follow me? So, you know, people think you're funny because, you know, you're paying them a lot of money. I didn't know I was actually had a good joke until, you know, I, I was out of a, you know, I sold my company and I actually got to talk to people that weren't on the payroll. <laughs> Otherwise, oh, Mr. McIntyre, you're hilarious. How do you do it? You know, it's like, man, I should be doing stand-up. This is really good. <laughs> but what happened in that process of having people who were making a lot of money, then they start to steal from you because they resent you. And the more you share, the more you want them to be blessed, and this is before I knew Jesus, the more they resent. You know, Stacy and I have given people money before, and as soon as you give them money, they resent you. Sometimes. So we started doing it altruistically sometimes. But it's really interesting because what happens is that spirit of jealousy comes in. The spirit of comparison comes in. It allows Satan to get a foothold if it's not handled properly, right? And so I, I really think it's important to understand where the dysfunction comes from. Adam wanted to blame his wife because he didn't want to look bad in the eyes of God. Eve, same thing. So they blame each other, then they blame the serpent. 
when in truly fact, that's one thing proving that God did not make us Stepford worshipers. He gave us free will. He said, okay, I'm not going to make you a robot. He could have made Adam a robot to love me all the time no matter what. But what does that give? You know, that doesn't give you back anything. It gives you nothing. So when that happened, you know, that's free will. And we're, we're paying for it today, yes? And by the grace of God, we live under the covenant, the new covenant, which we're going to talk about the blood covenant here in a second, that gives us grace, that gives us mercy, that gives us being a born again. So uh, you're in good company with your dysfunction. And what I'm going to walk through here a little bit about Abraham and a little bit about Joseph, too. Because you said about Joseph being wealthy. Joseph was stupid. That's right. I said it. He gets this dream. First of all, he was not the firstborn son, or as the Jewish people call it, the Behor. Okay? He was like in the middle of the tribe from the wife that Jacob really wanted the first time, right, that he got tricked in, the beautiful one. And he got married to the not-so-one. Sorry about your luck, Joseph, or Jacob. But Jacob was a conniver, was he not? You know, in fact, if they were making movies back in those days, they would have cast him in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, okay? Because he was. He stole the birthright from Isaac or Esau. And he, he did this, and he did it cunningly, unapologetically. Of course, Esau didn't want it because he wanted a, a pot of stew, so, but what is a miracle about this was awesome is God chose Jacob. Why did he choose Jacob? Because he had spit and fire. He had grit. Jacob wanted it much more than Isaac wanted it. And some of you in here are like Jacob. You know who you are. Oh, by the way, the red pill sermon last week was amazing, was great was really good. It got me thinking about all this, and that, yeah, I wanted to bring this up. And uh, also, 1996 called and wanted Cano's outfit back. <laughs> I think I said I probably said it wrong, right? I said it wrong, Stacey? I know. Okay. You, you get what I'm saying. Go watch the movie. You'll understand it. But no, Joseph could have been a, a lot more coy about his dreams, yes? But he was living in a dysfunctional family because he came from a dysfunctional family, and he was therefore dysfunctional. It's called the generational curse. Abraham had that too. I mean, Joseph, you know, everybody says Joseph was such a pure heart person because he didn't sleep with Potter's wife. I think that's funny too. Uh, but it's true. But actually, he didn't want to lose his statue in, in her station in the community. But it all came back around, and he came back around it because God knew. God kept blessing Joseph in every avenue, although he might not have deserved it. Even when the cupbearer and, and uh, the other guy were in the prison, he gave, he gave the dreams. Why? For one thing, for his agenda. That's when, when, when things start happening for you, your church starts building, your ministry starts building, the money starts getting better. Be careful of who you're with. What is their agenda? If they're truly believers, they're true Christians, they're 100% givers. And that's what I find with Tracy and John Eckert. They are the real deal. And that's rare, brothers and sisters. Cain and Abel, they were dysfunctional. 
Why? I mean, Cain, every day they were given sacrifices, or every week, I can't really remember what the Bible says about that, but they were given sacrifices. First of all, God never told them to give sacrifices. Now, maybe they got that from their mom and dad, and that was their custom, and they were given sacrifices. Cain, he kind of phoned it in, didn't he? He didn't give much. Now, Abel was given first fruits, and God was pleased with that. And he said, Abel, you're doing great. Cain, not so much. Cain walked around downtrodden all day, and God said to Cain, why are you downtrodden? Why are you walking around like this? Really, what Cain should have said, I'm victim. I'm a victim here because Abel was so much better. Jealousy, comparison. And God gave him, said, said, listen, Cain, you can do better. Tomorrow you can do better. Tomorrow's a new day. You know what that's called? Hope. You ever go to bed with the weight of the world on your shoulders and you wake up the next morning, you've got hope. You know what that is? That's God. That's bringing it for you. I've gone to bed before and I had electrical appliances didn't work and in the morning they worked. That's God too. <laughs> Don't know how it happens, but hey, he does it, okay? There's hope in the morning, yes? And that, that's where you find that's where you find the trueness of the Lord. And that's, that's what I'm going to talk about here with Cain and Abel. Because Cain, you know, God said, listen, all you have to do this is over again. And he could have, but he didn't. Therefore, the tragedy occurred. And did Cain pay a price? A big one. Dysfunction. Victims. Arrogance. Identity. Every one of these Bible people these Bible characters, these wonderful people have this problem. They all have arrogance. They all have, they have self-identity problems. Moses was a, had struggled with his identity for a long, long time. Moshe. Is he Egyptian or is he Jewish? He wrestled with it, deeply wrestled with it. And he sat there and talking with God, and he argues with God. Abraham argues with God. It's fascinating, these guys. I love the Old Testament. You know, when I first came to Jesus, I was like gobbling up the red letter, right? Wanted to hear everything about what the man said, what Jesus said, and I was just all into it. And I never really wanted to go and digest the Genesis and the Old Testament because I thought it was kind of old. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> But once I got into it, once I started reading these things and realizing that these people, guess what, are just like you and I. The father of our faith, Abraham, is just like you and I. He makes three major mistakes, maybe more, but the one I counted three. So some of you theologians, Matthew, can correct me later. <laughs> but we find Abraham, and the first thing is, why, you know, a lot of rabbis debate this. A lot of scholars debate this. Why did God choose Abraham? Well, when Abraham decided to leave his house because God told him to, he was 75 years old. I can hear you millennials now. See, I'm still not that old yet. I'm only 45, Mom. Come on. Abraham was 75. These kids nowadays. <laughs> but he left his father's house, and that was a big deal 4,000 years ago. 
a very big deal because in their culture, you stayed until your father died. You supported your father. The children, Abraham was the firstborn, the Behor. He was the first one, to, and he got a double portion, and he was to carry this on. But his father worshiped many gods. That's right. His father worshiped many gods. In fact, he made idols in the shape. And on the way out, Abraham smashed all those idols. Except for one, and he fought with his father about it. And his father said, how could you do this? These gods are going to protect us. And he says, they, how can they protect us? These were made from your hand. That's rich. That's amazing. And so he left, and leaving your father's house 4,000 years ago in that culture was a major deal, was a big deal, because you, you leave his covering, you leave your finances, uh, you leave your identity and the gods and the world's view. You leave all that behind. It never happens. But God told Abraham, you leave your father's house. And did he tell him where to go? No. Who said no? Raise your hand. Come here. You get a book. Come on. I'll give you a free book. Now, look, this is a signed copy, okay? I don't want to see it on eBay in the morning. I'll be watching. So he left his father's house not knowing where to go, some, like some Gen Zs nowadays, right? When they wander around until they get texts and they figure out where they're going to go. <laughs> and, they, and they change their mind 18 times before they get there. You guys kill me. You got to go out to dinner. Where are you going to go? Then it changes six times on the way to dinner. How can you guys do that? I'd get nauseous and get sick. If you, I, did, I can't do that. I got to stick with one place two weeks in advance, and that's where I'm going to go. So he's out there. Abraham's out there walking around. Which way do I go? Which way do I go? Where do I go? And guess where he ends up? In Bethel. And the first thing he does in Bethel is he meets Bill Johnson. And they get together and they build a tower to God, or actually in the, in the, in the NIV it's called, it's called an altar. And they build it for Adani. Adon Say it right. Adonai, come on. Here's another book. Here you go, brother. There you go. Adonai. Thank you. Thank you. You probably already got a dozen, so you can just add it to your collection. Uh, they build this altar to Adonai. And they do this to worship the Lord. And... It's amazing. All of a sudden, and the Bible doesn't go into great detail on this, but a famine and drought hits that area. They're in the desert, right? Common thing. So I don't know how long they're at this place after they build this, but Abraham gets the bright idea. Hey, there's this thing in Egypt called the Nile, and it floods every year at the same time, and there's land, and it's a delta, and there's food, and there's provision. I'm going to take my family and everybody out there so some of the rabbis say that maybe he didn't trust God. Maybe he didn't, you know, maybe why go to Egypt? Why go there? Why not just stay there and trust the Lord? You trust the Lord to leave your father's house, which was a big deal, a very big deal. But I think this comes back in the story, and it kind of takes, takes notion here, which is really interesting. So he leaves that. On the way to Egypt, he gets thinking, okay? And he's thinking, wait a minute. My wife, Sarah, Sarah, who is majorly beautiful, and, and, and I think the NIV version or the Passion version says she's smoking hot. 
You know those passion people, you know. <laughs> Am I wrong? Does the Bible say how beautiful she is? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I got blessed by our resident rabbi here. Uh, so <laughs> Abraham, I don't know. I guess he's smart, but he's scared. He's thinking, that, man, if they know Sarah's my wife, they're going to kill me. And they're going to take Sarah and all my things. Because Lot's with him too, his brother. He brings Lot with him as well. Lot, what a name. Lot. It said, hey, the Jews say Lot. Don't question the Jews. Listen, they just... They just don't make Jews like Jesus anymore, do they? Man, tough crowd, tough crowd. So on the way, he's thinking, I'm going to devise this great plan. And I don't know, maybe he got together with his... His lot brother, uh, and he, Lot, he got together with him and said, hey, why don't we tell Sarah is your sister? And that way, people will come at the, because in, in this day, in the patriotic time, they would, patri, yeah, patriotic, did I say it right? They, they come and they bring things to the father or the eldest in the family to court the sister or the daughter, Right? So I got two prospective people in here to make sure you bring nice things to the patriarch, okay? And so they bring these things to the patriarch, and all of a sudden the Pharaoh catches the eye of Sarah. He doesn't need to bring anything if he doesn't want to. He brings her into his house. Then he does bless Abraham with what? With sheep, with cattle, with, uh, I don't know, a Tesla. He gives him a lot of things, right? He gets everything that he wants. He has money. He has servants. He has all these beautiful things. And God saves Abraham. He puts disease on Pharaoh and releases Sarah back to Abraham. Because Abraham had this scheme that once he got all these things from these average suitors, then they would scurry away in the middle of the night. Well, that's not how it worked. So what did he do? So that was his first mistake. Second mistake, he took all the goods from Pharaoh. He took all the blessings that Pharaoh gave him, which comes back later on, too. So, but God's looking at Abraham and saying, Abraham, you've got the right stuff. You are my man. You are it. You and I are a lot alike. But he makes mistakes. The beautiful thing about Abraham is he does make major mistakes, but he doesn't let those mistakes define him. He doesn't stay in a victim mode. He doesn't get arrogant about it. He realizes he makes mistakes, and he fixes those mistakes, and he makes them right. And he realizes his identity is in with the Lord. So he doesn't step out into that constant arrogance. And I think it's, it's really amazing that he is that selfless, and I think that's why God chose him, because he was selfless, and he was ready to put his life on the line for anybody else. So there's a lot of things about how Abraham trusted God. And bring up Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And I just want to show you how he left the family deal. And I think that's really important to look at because that was a big deal a long time ago if we got it. If not, we can skip it. All right, we'll skip it. So during this time, the second mistake, he gets there, and he finally ends up where he's supposed to be. And he's, he's struggling. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And so with this, he also said, you're going to be the father of nations, Sarah. So he comes to the Lord, and he says, look, I'm 90. Sarah's like, you know, she's no spring chicken, and she's barren. One of the things that happens with I think one of the reasons God chose Abraham in the beginning, because he chose Sarah, even though she, he knew she was barren. Why did he do it? Because he's a man like God. And God, I think that caught God's eye. Here he, because he was the firstborn, he could have chose anybody he wanted to, but he chose Sarah. And the scholars say that he knew that she was barren. And that was a big deal in those days. Did he choose? So he wasn't going to be a victim, and he didn't want Sarah to be a victim because a lot of times they did not go, they did not get married if they could not produce offspring. So, with that, Abraham knows this promise that God's given him. He's left his house, he's left his family, he's traveled to, you know, he's put his life at the line, he put Sarah's life on the line, right? And in that process, he cries out to the Lord, and he says, God, you promised me, you told me that I was going to be blessed by, where I'm going to be the father of nations, and you're going to bless us in this process. Sarah's, you know, 80 years old, I'm 90, she's barren, how is this going to happen? And he kind of cries out to God, and God's silent in the answer. In the Bible, it's like he doesn't answer that. So then the Bible, then he comes in and he says again, he says, listen, Lord, and he kind of gets cranky. And this is where I think Abraham has got that chutzpah, kind of like Moses had it, kind of like Jacob has it. They have that, that fire and says, God, I don't understand. You promised me this. And God's like there, and I'm paraphrasing. God's like, yeah, I kind of did, didn't I? <laughs> it's kind of right. So let me throw this guy a clue. Because he's like really getting on my nerves here. Because he's like, oy vey, you know, how do I get through this? And so I could just imagine God saying, okay, I'm going to show him a little bit of what's going to happen. And he did. He said, step outside of the tent. Look up at the stars. You are going to have as many children as you can count in the stars. I promise you. Trust me. So he's all excited. He's, he's all happy. He runs back to Sarah, gets back there in a the tent, okay? He says, Sarah, guess what? We're going to have all the, this is what's going to happen. And Sarah, now it doesn't say that Sarah and him sit there and, and contemplated this, but Sarah, it says that Sarah said, why don't you, I'm barren. We can't have any children. Why don't you sleep with Hagar, our servant? And guess where she's from? Egypt. He says, sleep with Hagar, okay, and we will have children. And so he does, and they do, named Ishmael. And so in this process, okay, what happens? And we all know the story, right? In this process, you know, he comes back out there, and God says, you know, he fixes the story, he fixes it. And, and then they have, then Sarah and Abraham have their own child, Isaac, But what's dysfunctional here is Sarah is now mad at Hagar. She's the one that said, go sleep with the maid. Now, I know in today's our modern society, we women frown on that. And I get it. 
But back then, it wasn't that it was not, that was a different cultural thing. But she turned immediately for whatever reason. The Bible says that Ishmael or Hagar mocked Isaac. Now, I don't know, maybe they're having a balloon party and he went up there and popped a balloon in his face. I don't know what happened. It was probably embarrassing for everybody. And so he says, take her and that son, that Ishmael, and you have them leave our, leave our inheritance. They are not getting anything. Abraham goes to God and said, God, what do I do? He said, hey, man, <laughs> you know, you, know you, kind of made, you kind of made your bed in this deal. But listen to Sarah. Do what Sarah says. And how good is our God? He came and protected Ishmael. The angels came and spoke to Hagar. And I imagine Hagar was pretty tiffed, yeah? I mean, she's sitting out there, you know, she's out of the tent, okay? And she leaves the baby, they say baby, but he was probably 13 years old, Ishmael, underneath some bush, and she walks away. A bow, it says a bow's distance. And the Bible said God hears the child's innocent cry. And the angel came and talked to him. And the angel comforted him. That's how good our God is. So, but the first dysfunction, the big dysfunction in this family is that, you know. Uh, and so sometimes what happens is we want to know the rest of the story. Any of you boomers remember Paul Harvey? And now the rest of the story. Well, let me tell you something. Abraham wanted the rest of the story, and it cost him. If he would have been patient and actually trusted God like he left the house, there might not have been an Ishmael. And sometimes God loves us so much, he wants to give us some of that. Sometimes we get, we get words of prophecy, especially in the charismatic world, right? We get words, I got a word, everybody's got a word, you know. Everybody's calling Sean for a word, Tracy's got a word, Tra you know. It, which is great. We should get words. We should prophesy. It, the Bible says prophecy is going to be for everybody. It's a gift that everybody has. And we should utilize it and, and build the muscle in that. It's important. But that doesn't mean if you get a prophecy that you try to force it to happen. Because I think when you force things to happen, it breaks. Abraham was forcing something to happen, but logic told him, I'm 90 years old. How can I have any children? Sarah's barren. She's 75, 80 years old. How can this happen, God? And so he had to fix this mess, and God did fix it. He did. That was Abraham's third mistake. Actually, there's a fourth in here. God gave, a, in, in this time, in this culture, there was called blood covenants. Anybody ever heard of blood covenants? Matthew, you know them well, don't you? You know this Old Testament. Don't lie to me, Matthew. <laughs> so what's a blood covenant? Well, what happened back in that time of 4,000 years ago, when a bride and a groom get together, the, the uh, bride, the groomsmen will get in, they, have, got, they, have, uh, they cut these animals in half. They cut these animals half, make a big, huge puddle of blood, right? They take an ox, they take a, you know, I don't know, uh, a dog, a cat, maybe not, uh, goats, lambs, you know, a couple birds, you know, and they pour all this blood thing in here, right? And so then they dress in white. 
the groom dresses in white. And the father of the bride is on the other side of this blood pond. I don't know. What's it called? Uh, A blood puddle? How about that? (laughs) Tough crowd, Tracy. Tough crowd. All right. So the bride, the, the, the groom gets into the blood bath and stomps around and splashes blood all over him, saying to the father of the bride, the prospective bride, that I will take care of your daughter. I will provide for your daughter. I will watch over your daughter. I will protect your daughter. If I don't, you will, I will lay down my life like this, and it will appear like this. The father of the bride then steps in, splashes it on himself and says, if my daughter is not a virgin as I say she is, and she's not the wealth that I say she is, and she doesn't have the things to come and be your wife, then I shall lay my life down. It's intense. They weren't playing. And so God comes to Abraham and says, let's make a blood covenant. Go get your ox, go get your horse, go get your whatever, you know, go get your goats, go get a couple birds and cut them in half. Now, in the Bible, you're reading this think, where did that come from? That's kind of some bizarre Quentin Tarantino movie deal, right? I mean, what? What? In that culture, that was common. The gods that they worship had these blood deals, and that's the way they did it in their ceremonies. So he knew exactly what God was meaning, got the deal, and did it. But he sat there. Just as he before he stepped into that blood, he thought about it. He says, I cannot, I cannot adhere to what God is asking me. If I step into that, I will be an instant dead man. I cannot step into that covenant. Now, in the Bible, it says that these vultures were circling around. Now, I don't know after you cut a carcass in half how long it takes for vultures to come around, but I imagine a day or two. Maybe three. So he sat there a long time, and he fell asleep. And when he, God said to him, Abraham, you're going to have many children. We're going to come into this covenant. But over the next 400 years, your descendants are going to suffer in Egypt, in a land far in Egypt. Because he went to the Nile, because he slept with Hagar, because he took Pharaoh's blessings. He says, but I will take them out of that bondage. I will rescue them. I will come in there for them. Be not in despair. And you will live a long, healthy life, and I will bury you well. That's some bizarre stuff. And then he woke up. He said, and then when Abraham woke up, he saw in the pool of blood a kettle burning and a torch. And some theologians say that that was God and Jesus. That represented Jesus, because he knew, God knew that Abraham couldn't step in that. But what he did know is he said, hey, Abraham, you're going to have to have skin in the game. So we're going to do this thing called circumcision. (laughs) Rut-row. The bloodbath don't look too bad. (laughs) So he had skin in the game. That's right, I said it. (laughs) This is when circumcision came into vogue. (laughs) And he told Abraham, all your descendants at the eighth day of their 
life will have be circumcised. This will show that they know the covenant between me and you, Abraham, that this will last forever. They will not forget. Just like he put a covenant, just like when God put a covenant with Noah. In that process, when he came out after the flood, God said to Noah like 18,000 times, I have a covenant. This is not going to ever happen again. We will, never, we will never flood the earth. We will never destroy this. And, and you know, Noah's like, okay, I got it. So you're not going to destroy the earth. I'm never going to destroy the earth, Noah. It's never going to happen again. In fact, Noah, I'm going to show you my covenant's going to be strong. My covenant's permanent because I'm going to show you an archery bow that's going to be pointed at me to remind me never to do this again. Hence the rainbow. We worship a big God. And he gets it. He sent his son here to walk this earth and understand 100% pain, 100% love, 100% fear, and 100% of being God. And he left his Holy Spirit to activate us. Yeah? So when you look at the, these people of the Bible, you always, I always looked at them like, man, these guys are so amazing. How did they do that? How did Jacob do it? How did Joseph do it? How did Gideon do it? Well, they were all dysfunctional because God's family has been dysfunctional from the beginning. And just because your family is dysfunctional doesn't mean you have to be held to your past. Abraham did not let his past define him. And Abraham was an extreme hospitality person. If you know any people from Middle East, you know how hospitable they are. And they say they're hospitable and they want to be that because they know that they come from the descendants of Abraham. And Abraham, if you read the Bible, how much hospitality he gave to his people that came, especially when the three people showed up at his front door. And he just got circumcised. And he jumped up and he ordered food to be done and hurried up. And in those kind of days, no patriarch hurried to do anything. Right? Just like the prodigal son when he said the father ran to meet the son. Okay? That was way out of line. So in this process of victimization, we all fall into it. How many of us here fall into that, that thing of gossip? I'm the only one? You guys are incredible. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. At least you got an elder in here and a pastor that's honest. Gossip. Well, how is gossip done? Gossip is created from a subculture called victimization. And, and being working in different churches for the past few years, it's prevalent in the church. It's prevalent in business. I mean, it's like big time prevalent. I mean, and they don't hide it in business. They stand outside your front door at the office and hold court. <laughs> They're all about it, man. In the church, it's a little bit more, more subdued. It's more like, you know, uh, hey, listen, we really need to pray for my friend because, you know, I think he's having an affair. Yeah. <laughs> Subculture created. And then we get into, you know, victimization. Why am I not getting the attention that they're getting? Why am I not? Why don't, why don't McIntyre help me, you know, with my business more than, you know, why does he, doesn't he help me like he's helping that other person? 
Why is, you know, why, why does Tracy Eckert not pay as much attention to me as she does somebody else? Why do I, I don't get much time to get up in front on the pulpit? I'll tell you what, I've never seen a pastor share her platform like Tracy Eckert. I think it's beautiful to have a woman pastor. So the problem with victimization is it's not taking, it's not about blame game, it is, but when you divert that blame, it's basically, it's about you not being responsible for where you're at. And it's really easy for us to do that because why would we want to be responsible? Well, let me tell you, friends, I, I've been there. I remember when, you know, when money got really big with Stacy and I and lawsuits ensued, friends were lost. And I would walk around, why me? Why is this person leaving the company? Why did this person steal this uh, proprietary idea? Why did this person, you know, uh, take all these leads? Why did this person take all these agents? And I looked around and I thought, it's because they did it because of me. I was the common denominator because I was fear-based, insecure-based. And I was, and that, and I grew up, and I got to learn it. Look, at some point, you've got to take, you've got to take ownership. You've got to look in the mirror and say, hey, if it's to be, it's up to me. Then when I gave my life to Jesus, you know, Philippians 4.13, I got a partner. And God's partnering with me. He chose to partner with me because I didn't choose. He chose. Yes? Ephesians 2.20, so no man can boast, Right? So the, if you're a victim, if you're always losing, if your checking account's always empty, if you're always having problems with the, with the bank, with the IRS, with relationships, with trying to find somebody, it's all on you, friend. It's 100% on you. My responsibility in my marriage is not on Stacy. It's 100% on me. Now, look, Stacy and I have had our tough times. We've been married 36 amazing years. And I promise you, I'm not an easy person to be married to. I realized that about 35 years ago. Because I just thought I was a catch. Not. There was a time when I had to have, you know, a, a food taster in the house, you know, because things weren't going too good. But we persevered. And we persevered because she was a believer and she prayed it in and she prayed me in to coming into his kingdom. And that's what a good wife will do. Because I didn't need it, didn't want it, didn't care to have it, but he did. So take responsibility. Your choices are where you're at. If you're broke, that's because of your choices. If you're rich, that's because of his choices with you. If you're in a tough relationship in marriage, take a look in the mirror. It's your responsibility, not hers, not his. You own it. Subculture, stay away from it. This isn't third grade anymore. We're playing for keeps. Own up your stuff. Ask, if you don't know where your blind spot is, ask somebody. 
people, I had this one guy come and say, McIntyre, I want you to coach me on this stuff. I said, great, David, really good friend, really very successful. And uh, he said, I said, the first thing we're going to do, David, we're going to dive into your blind spots. Oh, I already know what all they are. No, you don't, stupid. Hence, blind. So I'm going to, I said, David, I'm going to go into your blind and stupid spots, okay? <laughs> Stay out of the blame game. Look in the mirror. Take responsibility for your family. If your family is not following Jesus, it's on you, bro. Men. Men, it's your responsibility to be the spiritual leader. I fall short, but I do get back on a horse again. It's your responsibility. It really is. Gossip, stay away from it. Gossip and complaining it to the, is to Satan as worship is to Jesus. So the next time you leave Thanksgiving or uh, Christmas dinner and you get in the car and you say, you know, your sister never washes those dishes. She never lifts up nothing. She never does a thing. All she does is sit there and complain. Maybe she can't wash dishes, but maybe you can be Jesus to her. Maybe she's insecure because she doesn't know how to do it. Maybe she's insecure. Maybe she's afraid. Maybe she just hasn't been loved or she's angry. Maybe you go to lunch with somebody and they never pick up the check. Maybe they don't have any money. And God bless you that does. So if you need to repent today for gossip, for subculture, for victimization, for making mistakes, and you're going to make mistakes, just like Abraham, make mistakes. But Abraham is the father of our faith. Because he has the right stuff. I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, you also have the right stuff. Do not let your past define you. Whatever you did last night, whatever you did last week, whatever it is, forget about it. Give it to him. Stacy taught me to pray in Acts. First of all, adore him. Second of all, confess. Third of all, thank him. Fourth, ask for supplication. Acts. He just wants to hear your heart. He knows that you're sorry, but he wants you to say it from your own lips. He wants you to be vulnerable. He wants you to not be arrogant. And listen, you know, social media, worship, these worship people are just amazing. We were back in there, and I, I asked uh, Shauna, I said, can you sing Shekinah Glory Come? And she just starts singing it. How gifted is that? I mean, I'm so envious of you. You've got such an amazing, beautiful voice. And when you... When you When you got up and said, all the angels cry out, holy are you. There it is. That's beautiful. I just imagine angels crying out to the Lord in their glory and glorifying him in that process. Because he loved Abraham and all his faults. 
because he trusted in his father. And just like us, we make mistakes and we forget and we try to fix it ourselves. And every time we try to fix it, it's like a tar baby. It sticks on you. So if you want, I'd love to hear from you. If you want to come up and pray and publicly talk about the things you want to get off your chest. I'm not a priest, but I play one on TV. So anybody feel that? Come on up. Come on up. Stand up. Stand up. And look, if you've got mistakes in your life, just like Abraham, you're in great company. Just like Joseph. Joseph, he just thought he was all that, didn't he? He had the arrogance on him, yeah? Prayer team, can we come on up and help me with this? I'm not that good. <laughs> so, Father God, I just ask for blessings over everyone today, God. Father God, we just ask, we just ask that, we just ask that you bring the anointing on us. Because we're we are we are not you, God. We might have the right stuff that you gave us, Lord. We thank you for that right stuff. But God, we need you. We need you every day. We need every breath that you give us, God. And we just ask for forgiveness, Lord. We ask for our, our stepping into those subcultures. We ask for stepping us for stepping into our arrogance, our lack of identity, like Moses didn't know, God. We are so blessed, God, because your son died for our sins. And we get our identity through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So we repent today, God. We repent with our tongues. We repent with our hearts. And we just thank you, God.